0: go. I'll just go, shall I? Let's go. Okay, ready? (laughs) Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. I'll just wait for the youth to go. Trying to have a moment here, guys. (laughs) Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present himself as a radiant church, her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Okay. So, This is one of those scriptures, um, you know me, I'm very honest with you all. I overshare sometimes. Um, As a female, as a woman, this is one of those scriptures that I go, it it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. (laughs) It's one of those scriptures that I have really struggled with. And in my evangelical background, this scripture has been weaponized against me as a woman to put me in my place extol the superiority of those in authority over me and require my submission and obedience as a young person okay so that's my relationship with this scripture okay is everybody feeling suitably uncomfortable great (laughs) okay and then jamie was doing some has done some sermons on biblical wisdom and this scripture just kept coming back this is biblical wisdom Teresa. Full naming you. This is biblical wisdom. So I'm just, before we get into this, I'm going to make some qualification statements for you, okay? I'm not a theologian. I do do a lot of reading when I come to these scriptures, you know. I do go to various cross-reference. I'm one of these people that likes to cross-reference. If they said that, what did this other person say? Um, I am a female, um, and so my heart is for women and girls, be given safe spaces, whether that's due to my femininity, but that is my heart, is that women and girls are given safe spaces where they can flourish. So that might come across today, um, and I didn't expect it to when I first embarked on this scripture, to be very honest. But actually my heart is the fact that all of us live in a family, or have lived in a family. And a family, for me, is the nucleus of society. Okay. So what you learn in your family is what you take out into into society. And more than that, your family is the nucleus of your relationship with God. What you experience as a child from your parents is what you take to the father heart of God, is how you interpret him and what he tells you about himself. So I'm passionate that we have families that build trust and safety so that when we encounter God and we go out into into society, We take that trust and safety with us. Okay, so let's just address the discomfort. Okay. So, this is one of the prison epistles. Okay, so this was written by Paul when he was in prison. So here is this man who has had authority taken from him. So he's talking about submission from a place of absolute, that he has no authority, he has no, he's a prisoner. Okay. And he writes it to the church of Ephesus, who were part of, right, now bear with me, okay, because this is from what I've read, right, so Greco-Roman social system, so that was one of a repressive social system, and it reflected a defi- the, what we would consider to be the definition of a non-benevolent patriarchy, so we talk about the patriarchy, okay, patriarchy can be good if it's benevolent, but if it's non-benevolent, it's not good, it's repressive, and that was the definition of Greco-Roman culture, okay, so, and the definition of that non-benevolence is the ruling of a few men over all men, women, and children. And in Roman culture, these were the patricians. So these were the powerful, wealthy men who had authority over the citizen class. Okay? And so that's what Paul is writing to. He's writing into that culture. And within that culture, fathers, had, fathers and husbands had coercive authority over their wives and children. So they could, order, they could order the divorce of their wives. They could just decide to marry somebody else and divorce a wife, leaving that person, that woman, abandoned to whatever came next. They could order the abandonment of their children if they were unwanted. And Paul is often accused, when he writes to Ephesus, of extolling the virtue of this hierarchical structure. He's, he's accused of requiring subordination. He's a, accused of this... Um, repressive That saying, yes, this is the structure that should work. And if you skim read it, and if you half read it, then, okay, I, I, I can see how you got there. And that's what made me feel like, what makes me feel uncomfortable when I read it. If I read it like that, that makes me feel uncomfortable. And if we read it like that, then we just read it as, women have to submit, children have to obey, end of. But we're not. We're, what we're in danger of doing when we do that is we're in danger of projecting and we're in danger of distorting, actually, what Paul is saying. So you know me, I love a paradox. I, love, I live in the both end. And this scripture actually is a both and, Okay, There's a mutuality that cannot be ignored. And in fact, the scripture is preceded by, in Ephesians 5.21, Submitting to one another in fear of God. Okay, so actually what Paul is writing is an alternative to the structure that the church of Ephesus was experiencing. And it was totally countercultural. and And he, what he does is he starts with normal. So he starts with wives submit. And if you were Greco-Roman culture, you would go, absolutely wives submit. And he says, children obey. And Greco Roman culture would say, absolutely, children obey. But by starting with the normal, he then catches them off guard with the countercultural. And I would argue that this is an antidote to what we're experiencing in this secular world now and how our families are being infiltrated with this power play that is going on in the world. And it's affecting our relationships in the home. Okay. Are you still with me? Yeah? Good? Great. <laughs> All right. So, okay. Let's start. Right. Let's start with wives submit. Okay? Let's do it. I'm going in. <sighs> no. I'm fine. Okay. So, let's look at the word submit in English. Right? In English, the word submit means be obedient, be inferior to, be meek. That's my understanding of submit in, in English, okay? You could describe it as enduring aversive behaviour from your partner because you, you believe you have no alternative. Okay, there's a lack of agency in the English word submit. Okay. The Greek word, as it is written, is hippotas, hippotasso. Hippo, under. Tasso, locate yourself. okay. And that's the same word that's used in Ephesians where it says submit to one another, okay? The you first. So, right, I love English grammar. I am one of the few people, Jamie is another one actually, that uses semicolons in a WhatsApp message. When, whenever I text Jamie and I, I'm like, oh, actually, is there a semicolon there? I'm not quite sure about that because Jamie's going to read this in a minute. <laughs> so, I love grammar, Okay. So in English grammar, we have two primary voices. We have the active voice and the passive voice, okay? So active voice, subject performs the action. I teach you Spanish. You are passive, you receive it, I teach you. Passive voice, the subject receives the action. I am taught Spanish, okay? So in English grammar, to submit is a passive action. I am either made subject to or I am subject to. I'm either passive I don't have any agency in it. Okay. But in the Greek, Greek has what's called a middle voice, which is what hypotasso is. It uses the middle voice in which the subject is part or all of the action. In other words, the subject is both the cause of and the focus of, the agent and the experiencer of. So, if I am hypotasso, I am choosing to place myself under. I am actively making a choice. I have choice in that situation. I am not subject to. I am not being diminished. I am making a choice to make myself under. I'm going to be honest, I still struggle with the word under so I'm going to change it with in support of. (laughs) But that's just me and I'm still on a journey. Okay. So, the more I read this scripture, what Paul is saying is not, I am dominated. That as a wife, I, re- I am required to be dominated by my husband, or I am required to be a passive participant in this relationship. The authority is not exerted over me, because if it's a- exerted over me, then it's authority without relationship. It's uh, because of my gender, I have authority. Because of that, I'm a husband. Because I have the title husband. I have authority. You are submit you are submissive to me. That's not what it I read here. It's me as an agent making myself in support of, placing myself in support of my husband. And that's the same with children and fathers. So again, he starts with the norm. He says, children obey your parents. But then he turns his attention to fathers. And according to Roman law, as I said, fathers had authority over their children. But the further we understand, they didn't just have authority over their children. They chose which children would be kept in their family. So the children were for the, for the purpose of the man's business or increasing his family. And so if the child would not bring anything to, to that, they could be abandoned, according to Roman law. And if essentially, if they were girls if they got to a certain age they could be married off so paul's challenge to fathers is so countercultural he asks them to give up coercive power and he asks them to consider their children as human and not behave or engage in behaviors that would drive them to anger but to use their obedience use the cultural norm use the fact that your children obey you because you are their father in teaching them in the instruction of Christ and then husbands love your wives and he says just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy ok so the culture of Ephesus marriage like I said it was, a, it was arranged to promote business and the furthering of a man's household and young girls were married to much older men Husbands and wives weren't close, so it's not what it looks like now. You, know? you wouldn't go to marriage counselling in Roman culture. you just get rid of your wife and get a new one. Um, and women were more likely to seek solace from their own family than they would from their husband. So, okay, it says husband's love. Again, English love. <laughs> I mean, English love's kind of But English love is like, it's love. Okay, yes, I get married and I love this person and it's one word and it encompasses everything. We know in Greek language there are different words for love. So we have eros, which is erotic love, philos, which is brotherly love, and agape. And this is the word that's used in the scripture, agape. It says, husbands, agape your wives. Have selfless, caring concern for your wives. Selfless, caring concern for your wives. And in that culture, their masculinity, a man's masculinity, would be, would be defined from a separation of nature. So the nature that works to have men have emotions and feelings, that would be the thing that would minimise their masculinity. Anybody recognising anything that's happening in the secular world at the moment around masculinity, okay? And the the whole, I'm not, I don't like these zeitgeisty words, but that toxic masculinity that absence of emotion, that strength, you know, that, that men in those days were exhorted to disdain emotions and feelings as a weakness because that would potentially compromise their male identity. So in that culture, Paul is saying to those husbands, have a selfless, caring concern for your wives. He's asking the men of that time to sacrifice their status, public praise, competition, the winning at all, crof, at all costs. So the call to men, even in that, was massively challenging. Like in this world now, we read and go, it's very challenging for women. Oh, it's very challenging for children. It's really challenging for men. The responsibility on husbands and fathers to have a selfless care for their children and for their wives was so countercultural. And actually, I would argue now that in the world, we're getting this infiltration of polarisation, where people have tried to reach, you know, as we've tried to modernise, and we've tried to gain footholds, and, you know, we've tried to gain equality, and what we're actually starting to do now is vie for position. And as we vie for position, we're starting to let that infiltrate into our families, which I will come to. So why is this chapter so controversial or has it been controversial like I said for some of us this has been weaponized and it has been used against us to require submission or we've experienced authority without responsibility or we've experienced authority without care or required submission and as I've said we're in a world where positions are getting further and further polarized And it's affecting our homes. So how is that affecting our homes? I would say that vying for position, so the idea that in order for me to take my place, I need to knock you from yours. Okay, we see that. I I see that everywhere. The other thing it's causing is this mistrust in motives. Okay, so if I'm vying for position, if I feel that, you know, for me to place myself under or in support of you means me giving up a position and I don't trust your motives that when your husband or comes to you with advice or guidance it's not easy to take the advice and guidance because you don't trust the motives, you don't trust that this person is doing this out of love and selfless care for me I've got an example of that I struggle. I'm a very independent person. (laughs) Very often, what railed against me is, Tree, you are too independent. You won't accept help. An example of that is, in my house, Paul's chair is here. There's a door here, okay? And that door is always closed. And that door you have to get through to get into, like, the lounge or upstairs or anything. And sometimes if I'm taking a coffee and a plate and I'm trying to get through that door and Paul is sitting here, I will literally, th- there's a handle, obviously, and I will literally get my cup and I'm like this. And Paul's like, Do you want me to help you? No, no, it's fine. No, j- Tree, just let me help you. No, no, I'm absolutely fine. In the end, he's like, Oh, opens the door for me. But I just, or I'm the person that, you know, if I'm carrying 1,500 bags out of my car. And anybody who comes to me and says, Do you want any help? No, absolutely fine. Don't need your help. Absolutely fine. And even when I'm really at my lowest ebb, like, I mean, gosh, I'd had major surgery and couldn't get out of bed and wouldn't let Paul help me out of bed because I have learned independence. I am so fixed on making sure I am seen to be strong and a strong female. But it absolutely impacts my relationship because I cannot just lean in. So this whole relationship structure, this whole dynamic of mutuality requires trust. And for many of us we've been absolutely wounded. We've even been wounded in the world, we've been wounded with parents, we've been wounded from past relationships. This is really hard to adopt in a family culture if you have that experience. It's underpinned by the servant nature of our faith, okay? You can't have this faith and not adopt this culture. In Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In Matthew 20, 26, 28, it says, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant, Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but be served. Okay. In our family spaces, we need to create safety. And safety can be defined and created by mutuality. Okay. So, what does that look like? Let's just use the husbands love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Okay. There's this beautiful illustration of it when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And I was kind of, sort of, thought, oh, I'll read it. And then when I read it, you know, when you read a scripture and you think, I never saw that. It says in John 13, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and basin. And began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Jesus, knowing that he had power and authority, washed their feet. Okay. He didn't stand there knowing he had all authority and all power and require them to submit and wash his feet. He didn't tell them, be under me, I have power, I have authority. He didn't exert it. He put his garments to one side, girded himself and served. It talks about in the scripture that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the body. Okay, and there are lots of different interpretations of what the head means, but let me just propose this one a greek scholar named richard kevin suggested that rather than it meaning just authority in its in its whole what if it's a head body metaphor okay so in ephesians 4:15 it says speaking the truth in love may grow in all things into him who is the head christ from whom from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective work by which every part does its share okay What if, as the husband, as the father, you are the head of the body from which all things are unified and brought together and made safe? That your role is to unify, to uphold in love, to edify. Okay, I'm not going to go into societal structure or systems, and I don't want to have any political arguments afterwards men, gentlemen the world is structured in such a way that you have authority, you have access to systems okay knowing you have that authority knowing that you have power in many situations are you making safe spaces for your wives and children wives Knowing that you have influence on your home. Knowing that you have influence on your children. And that your children look to you as their mother, their life giver. For direction of what are we doing with this situation. (laughs) Are you actively placing yourself under in support of (laughs) your husband? Parents whether there's one of you or two of you knowing that you have the authority over your children knowing that you can silence them or encourage them are you making safe spaces for your children to flourish are you utilizing their obedience to you because you are their parents because you trust them are you using that for the instruction of Christ and for the development of their relationship with Christ. Because here's the thing about mutuality, right, and here's the upside down thing, right, we're back to that upside down thing about grace. The stuff that works in the world, it doesn't work, or actually, the stuff that works in the scripture and the spiritual world works, okay? The stuff that works in the world only leads to death, really, it only leads to But the stuff that's in the spiritual world is so upside down, it doesn't make sense. And the world can't understand it. And this is one of those things. Because the thing about mutuality is, when I place myself in support of my husband, and my husband is making a safe space for me, and my husband is extolling me, I am uplifted. Okay? In Peter, just just an example of how we are with God. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Like that's so, that the outworking of me making myself humble, that the outwork of me putting myself in support of somebody, means that I am then exalted. It's just not how the world says it. The world says it. You give up your position. you, You need to kick them off the table so you can stand on the table. So let's go back to safety. You all okay? Yeah? All, all right? Yeah, it's hard. It? Just making sure. Struggling with it. No, I'm all right. <laughs> <coughs> So, making safe spaces. This idea of mutuality creates safe spaces. It creates a family that is safe. And there's a term that the world uses, which is psychological safety. Psychological safety is a perception of interpersonal risk. So it's this idea of, essentially, do I lose this relationship if I don't comply? And so in order to make myself safe, then I'll just comply. Or this person is making me feel psychologically unsafe, so I just need to comply. But in a psychologically safe home, individuals feel comfortable expressing their thoughts, emotions, concerns, without fear of judgment or rejection. And this foundation, safe, this foundation of safety strengthens the family relationships and fosters a sense of belonging, acceptance, and support. That's a direct quote from um, a psychological piece about families that foster safety. Okay, that's the world, essentially saying what Paul said. Essentially saying that this mutuality, this development of a psychologically safe, where we all play our part, that creates safety for the individuals in that family and allows them to flourish. So what happens when mutuality isn't present in families? What happens when we don't go according to Paul and his, instru- and his advice? So I've got a story. Now this is like, I'm really swinging the pendulum, right? So this is really kind of, I understand that maybe in the demographic of this church, this may not be familiar to you, okay? But this is what is happening so I'm going to swing the pendulum to some not nice things, okay? So I work, I've i worked in many different environments in my working life. And um, one of them was with um, children who were in risky situations. And there was one girl who I always think of. She just, lives with me, essentially. And she had got into a very risky relationship with a much older person who was putting her in situations that she knew were not safe and that she knew she was being exploited she knew and she and and she was asked well when did it start she said well when it started I felt really uncomfortable but I just kept going I just kept going and now I'm in a place where I can't get out of it and actually now I'm choosing to go and the person asking her the question said to her why did you let this man do this to you and her response was he made me feel worthy and that's what happens when we don't create psychologically safe families. Our children, our partners, feel unworthy. And so they seek it elsewhere, or they are vulnerable. Another, another um, example of this, and again, I am swinging the pendulum, okay, is there's a thing called the child exploitation matrix. So this is what um, social workers will use to assess whether a child is at risk of exploitation. And some of the vulnerability factors from this are witnessing and experiencing domestic abuse, which we understand to be as a result of the person in power, it's not always male, the person in power in a relationship exerting that authority over the person who does not have power in that relationship. Patterns of neglect in the family, family conflict, a lack of love and security, low self-esteem, and social exclusion. All of these things are contrary to what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about this psychological safety, this environment in which all are valued and all have agency within it. And many of us actually carry those wounds. So many of us have been in environments when when I describe that family structure, you would say, I don't recognise that, or my marriage doesn't look like that, or my marriage didn't look like that and now I'm in a position where I've had to come out of that marriage and I'm on my own and now I've got the wounds of it and now you're asking me to believe that this is the right way or now you're asking me to approach God as my father or you're asking me to trust that God is my provider because as well as the social risks of this of not applying this mutuality in our families there's a spiritual risk And the spiritual risk is, how do I trust that the Father loves me without condition? Because that's not been my experience. Or how do I boldly approach the throne, knowing that as I draw near to him, he safely draws near to me in love? And yet, here's this beautiful provision for those who have been wounded, who haven't experienced this. In Psalm 68, verse 5, it says, he is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. And I've witnessed that. I've witnessed how people who don't have fathers or haven't experienced that, have been surrounded, that God has put people in their place to father them, to love them, to expand what it means to be loved effectively. Okay. So I finished earlier than I thought I would. That's okay. I've got one things. I mean I've packed a lot in, okay, I've said a lot, and it's quite heavy. It feels heavy. And it is heavy. Because these are our families. These are our children. These are our wives. These are our husbands. These are the people that in life God has entrusted you with. He's entrusted you with your children. He's entrusted you with your partners. He knows where you've been wounded in these areas. He knows how that impacts your relationship with him. And so I, I don't know what this word has said to you. I don't know what response. You know, I'm, I'm touching on really heavy stuff that really impacts all of us you know, I don't know where your marriage is or where your relationship with your children is or where you are in terms of whether you are married or not married. And and that's the thing. This isn't exclusive. This isn't just, you know, oh, uh, this word is only for parents who've got 2.4 children. And it's, this is for everybody. This is about creating safe spaces because like I said, if the family is the nucleus of society, then the family is the nucleus of this church. If I can't be actively engaged in this relationship with the people that I've been entrusted with, how do I do it to the wider church? How do I do it to society? So like I say, I don't know how, what the response has in you. Um, I can only pray that the Holy Spirit challenges you where you need to be challenged, affirms you where you need to be firm, affirmed, comforts you where you need to be comforted. Um, my challenge to me, Paul, my children, you, is that we become you first families. So this is the sign, obviously you know I do sign language, so we'll go like this, you first. But if the other person's going, no, you first. <laughs> that we become you first families. And my prayer as well is, and, and my encouragement, is that there is healing and hope for those of you who have been wounded. So I've asked the worship team <coughs> to sing the blessing over you. Um, just in terms of response, we do have the prayer team over here. So if you do feel if there's anything that I've said today that you feel you need prayer for, or if you you know need to talk through, then the prayer ministry team are over here. If there are things that you just know need to just be with you and God, and that you know this is high level vulnerability, and that actually I don't want to speak to anybody about this. I just want to be with God because that's where I'm safe. Then um, over here I've got an area. Right But actually, I I won't be doing a response to the front kind of thing because these are such heavy, personal, private experiences that we've all had, a family. So that's why I've asked the, the worship team to sing the blessing over you. And what I want you to do is just imagine your family, be with your family, and receive this blessing over them. Sing it over them. If you're wounded... Sing it over yourself. It says in this song, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. Sing that over yourself. Okay? He is the ultimate father. Um, and so I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to the worship team. I would encourage you to stand while we sing it. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to pray. Father, I just thank you that you are so gentle, Lord, that you, even in your power, and even in your authority, Father, Abba, thank you that you approach us with gentleness and with kindness. Thank you that you tell us that even as we humble ourselves, your intention is to exalt us. Father, I pray, Lord, that where this, this sermon has maybe touched sensitive points or, or picked at areas that we're uncomfortable with, Father, I pray in your name that you will just be the soothing balm. Father, thank you that you never give us more than we can cope. with. Father, thank you that you bring things to the surface just at the time that we're ready to deal with them. And Jesus, I just pray now, Holy Spirit, I pray, a blessing on every family represented here, whatever that family looks like. Father, I thank you for the women who bring up children, in the absence of a father, and I thank you that you have made provision for them. I thank you that you have already said, I am father to your children, that you are their source. Father, I pray for every person who no longer has a husband, Father, or or has has been left, Father, or has had to make the hard choice to leave a marriage, and they're alone, Father. And I encompass them in the defender of widows, Father, I thank you that you stand before them and that you defend them, Lord, that they can stand behind you as their source, as their defender, as their provider, as gyra, as the one who sees. And Father, I pray for every father and husband and man in this church, Lord. The weight of responsibility on them is great. Jesus, I pray that they will know you as their brother. They will know you as their father. Father God, that you will bless them and their households. And I pray for every wife in this room. I pray for your empowerment. I pray for your extolling. I pray that you will be in a position where you actively place yourself in support of Father, I just pray for blessing after blessing on every family represented here. Father, and their children and their children's children. Jesus, bless them. Let's stand.